This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I am your host for now, Frederick Sinone, joined by Josh Newber, Chris Nee. Although, uh, while, while Chris is about to ship up to Boston for this weekend's game, Josh is just here for emotional support. He's not going to be super invested in the show, is my understanding. Wait, that's what you said earlier. Are you backtracking? I'm with. I don't really go back and listen to the shows, so I just figured I'll just sit in on the taping and listen. That way, till kill two birds with one stone. All the great ones studied their film. I mean, let's just be honest, Josh. You might need to get on. Yeah, I got too much film to study. <laughs> Josh, did you happen to hear the back and forth that Chris and Mike Norvell had? I did not. <laughs> well, if I was a good producer, I'd be able to play this on the video stream right now. But uh, since I don't know how to do that, and we don't have a producer right now, uh, you can go ahead and just look at my Twitter. Basically, did he ask a dumb question? How was that? Go ahead. How's Lawrence Tofilly come along? got dinged up against Clemson. How's he doing? Well, you're going to ask the same question. It's simpatico. Oh, it's amazing. Really? You guys, uh-huh. Two peas in a pod. Yeah. It's like you and Kenny. Two people, one brain. Uh, just to say, yeah. <laughs> um, we- I don't think he took that as a compliment. As I got, I got the grin and the neck crack out of Norvell. So, so, so who's, Kenny, who's Kenny and who's Norvell? <laughs> this is where the story keeps I'm, I'm escalating. Uh, well, Chris uh, said that I was Kenny yesterday. Um, because we both have been emotional at various points this week. And then Kenny walked by us while we were out on the bench. Uh, you know, we will chat up to coaches, say hi to them while we're waiting for different visits, which was where this podcast is going to go about Tyree West and whatnot. Well, this will be about Florida State football, I promise. Uh, and, and Kenny walked by and Chris told him of, of the little anecdote. And Kenny kind of looked over at me and was like, you know, I'm better looking and then walked away. So Kenny and I got beef now because he thinks he's better looking than me. I think we're going to, we're going to have a, uh, a walk off to to figure out who the better looking guy is. Oh yeah, that's a walk off challenge, my friend. I heard some mad stories about this kid, man. He's limber. He's too limber. Put a cork in it, Zane. It's a walk off. It's a walk off. Who do you think is better looking, Josh? Kenny. Well, welcome to On the Bench. Yeah, we're going to do a Boston College preview as FSU uh, really is kind of clinging to to the hopes of going 6-6 six and six and making it to a bowl game after a really dramatic, fun win over Miami. Uh, we'll get into that in a few minutes, and we'll also do a mini mailbag. Mail mini mailbag, though, so that's more like a mailbag. It's a mini one. Uh, but first, there's a lot of recruiting stuff that's happening, mainly from that, that Miami win. There's a lot of... Uh, of Intel has been pouring in. Josh had a specific podcast on it yesterday, talking about crystal balls. But even since that podcast yesterday, more stuff has has opened up and uh, moved forward with recruiting. So, guys, let's get into first what a lot of Josh's pod yesterday was with or was about with uh, with Wilt Fong and and Bud and uh, a few others there. Tyree West was on campus. Tyree West made it to Florida State, the four star defensive tackle from Tifton. 
Georgia, which is about an hour and a half north of, of Tallahassee. Good thing I put him back on the board. Chris, let's see, Josh, explain your ball. Well, 10, 10, 10 out of 10. Well, let's get into it first. So Tyree West was supposed to be at the FSU Miami game. Those plans didn't happen. He, he wasn't there. And then he decides to come on a midweek visit. Yesterday was Wednesday. He arrived on campus. I confirmed at about 8 a.m., 8.15 a.m. He was in time to watch practice. Um, not really sure all, all what he did, but he was on campus till about 1 p.m. So he spent about twice as much time, dare I say, as he did the last time he was here. Um, but yeah, uh, I put in a crystal ball pick with a 10. Um, I was going to do it the night before when Will Fong dropped his. See, recruiting's fluid for those of you that don't follow recruiting as closely. And things can happen in one's recruitment suddenly that makes you weigh all your other options or your other option. And sometimes, um, you know, you're told to do so. So <laughs> Tyree West decides to weigh his other option and go down and check out Florida State. Or, and everybody, you know, Steve Wilfong dropped his crystal ball on Tuesday night. And I checked in with some sources and they were very confident um, in that, you know, Tyree West is coming. But... I just had to wait till he arrived on campus to put mine in. So I waited till the next morning. And when I got the word that Tyree West was coming in, I put in Tyree West at a confidence level of 10. Now here's the stipulations. Um, I'm very, you know, talking to the sources that we talk with, they're very confident that Tyree West is coming. For every visit that Tyree West takes besides this one, I am lowering my confidence level one point per every visit. Now I don't, now, he sounds like he might take some visits and the fact that he's essentially decommitted. Now he hasn't come out and said decommitted, so I'm not going to call him a Georgia decommit, but he's fully into looking at other options. He um, updated his huddle profile for the first time in a year yesterday. There you go. So why do you, re- why do you update your resume when you're going looking, to look for a job? Cause you're looking, you get, that t- you get that Tinder profile updated when you know you're about to be tindering. Sometimes, you know, hey, it's not working out at my old job or, hey, maybe things are coming to end here and I need to update that resume. And that's what Tyree West did. Things changed on a dime. And uh, I've got a 10 10 confidence in my crystal ball. But like I said, there's four weeks to go. If he takes a visit elsewhere, I'm dropping at one point per visit. I think I put mine in for six. So just to just to be a team player, every time he doesn't take a visit, I'm going to raise. You're going to up yours. Yes. So we'll meet in the middle, probably. He Every mentioned week. when we talked to him in the exit interview it was myself, Zach, a couple others from another outlet. Um, he mentioned, I think I want to say Auburn, Tennessee, maybe one other. He doesn't take a lot of visits. He, I mean, there's been multiple visits here that didn't happen that were supposed to happen, and. FSU is relatively close to Tifton, relatively close to home for him. So I'm not exactly fretting at this moment over him taking multiple other visits. Like, we'll see. It wouldn't shock me if he takes the one here on December 3rd, 4th, that weekend, and then maybe one other during those December weekends when everybody's having officials. Um, But I don't think he's going to take three or four. Like, I'd be shocked if he does that between now and the early signing period, which we're now within less than a month of the early signing period beginning. That was yesterday. It was one month 
a little salty that I did the scouting report yesterday. Hey, hey you got it. It's yeah. in the can, just in it's case. In the chamber. Maybe a lot more huddle clips. FSU, then when he plays FSU, you'll know exactly what he brings to the table. It's wow. <laughs> <laughs> a good point. All right, so another recruiting development that kind of just happened before we started recording, and we're trying to kind of piece some piece the pieces together. Yeah, that's what you do with pieces. You piece them together. Katron Allen apparently is someone that Steve Wiltfong feels FSU could flip. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys want to add any context to that, but that's out there. I, I First of all, I can't really add to that because, one, I haven't he- heard, read, or seen what Steve Wiltfong said. And um, I talked to a source within the Moore Center on, was it Sunday or Monday morning, that was pretty adamant. Well, not adamant, but just, you know, pretty sure that, you know, things between FSU and Katron probably weren't going to move forward too much. So if 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 that is the case, something happened. I don't know, you know, maybe it happened on the other end with Penn State, but I need to talk to Will Fong and or at least see what it was said. I don't I don't really know because it goes directly against what, you know, the the people close to his recruitment were telling me. And when Zach tried to interview Fat Man during his exit, um, that interview got cut off. So it didn't really happen. Wait, what about one minute and Batman? 20 seconds? And it yeah, was purely just Batman. about football. It wasn't really about his recruitment. And then it was turning to his recruitment and his mom stepped in and they went to the airport. So he so he hasn't gone on record with anybody regarding his recruitment since the visit. But it didn't seem it seemed very surface level. It didn't seem that way. So if if, if something did change, I'll look into it. Hmm. He's a four-star running back. I should have set this up from IMG Academy. Where is he from initially? Virginia, I believe. I think he's from up that way, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, I was thinking this is Bradenton. Okay. All righty. So uh, that's one other update. Wesley Bethsaint is visiting Miami this weekend. That's coming off of the FSU visit where FSU is feeling really good. That's just one that's not going away, huh, guys? Like the Miami native is still really into Miami um, and FSU's linebacker recruiting. Like I know fans would just absolutely love for that to get solidified and you to, to go ahead and add someone to Omar Graham in that class right now. Just seems like that one's going to be a battle until he ultimately decides to commit somewhere in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, Allen's from, Allen's from Norfolk, Virginia, just to close the book on that. Okay. Um, with Basang, him and his mom are both Miami fans. Like I, I – I think I keep trying to bring that up and like, I mean, hell he signed a banner for UM fans at the FSU game in Tallahassee. Um, at the end of the day, he's going to make a business decision. He's going to make a decision based on what school is best for him for the next three to five years. So like, I don't know if his fandom matters in that regard, but the fact he keeps showing up to the school really close to home that he's a fan of, uh, you know, it is what it is. Like, I don't want to dismiss it and say it means nothing. Cause yes, it means something. It matters that he keeps showing up there. But at the same time, like, there's a reason it keeps showing up there. It's right around the corner from them, and they like them. There's also, you know, look at the crystal balls. I mean, even though we reported what we reported this week, none of us have dropped a crystal ball pick. I know Bud did, uh, but I think it was with a lower confidence level. Yeah, I think um, it was But I didn't see two – a four. Yeah. I think. So I didn't see too much, you know, uh, buzz. I'm – Obviously, there was some buzz coming out of his visit. It was a great game. FSU rolled out the red carpet for him. He brought his mom with him. So there was some 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 good things that happened. But it's not like anybody said that there was a possible silent commitment or that 
FSU is the team to beat now. I mean, that wasn't really the the message coming out of the visit. So the fact that he's going to Miami this weekend just shows me that his recruitment is still underway. I am interested to see if he shows up in Gainesville next weekend for FSU Florida. Yeah. Would that be a development for Florida or better development for Florida State if that were It's the case? for both. I mean, he's going to be taking in two of his top contenders. At this point, I don't think he'll leave the state. But I also don't think he's made a decision. I think he's the classic South Florida type that's going to really make a decision 48, 72 hours out from when he's going to, you know, announce. I, I think he's a kid that's thought about it a lot, but I don't think he's one of these that's taking visits with another school in mind, comparatively to like an Earl Little, who I wholeheartedly expect to go Alabama, but is still taking visits to others. He essentially have backup plans to the main plan. The last thing I wanted to discuss real quick, and I don't even know if we're going to get into a big discussion about it. I'm going to play a game with you guys. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to say where you think, if you had to choose right now, you think Marvin Jones Jr. would commit to. He's been an interesting recruitment. Florida State obviously had a good impression, made a good impression on him this past weekend. Andrew Ivins caught up with him the other day. You can check that out on those247.com. Now Ivins talked about it a little bit too, I believe, on the pod yesterday with Josh. All right, ready? Three... Two, one. Alabama. Alabama. Damn, boys. I was going to go with Florida State, but here you go diminishing my hopes. Well, why didn't you yell at Florida State? It would have been a lot more fun if we all yelled it out at once. Okay, well, I said Florida State. Sorry, I didn't do it right upon your three, two, one. You threw me off. I was expecting a one, two, three. Which is weird, but yeah, I think at this point, you know, if you're betting against Nick Saban, you're probably looking to lose some money. Um I've, I've weighed in on an, enough of these battles and lost a lot of these to, to Alabama. So until Alabama's not full steam ahead with them, I'll, you know, I'll defer to the, to them. Why do you think Florida state, Chris, or why, well, why do you I think, think that's very, position itself? I think that's very fair logic on Josh's part. I wholeheartedly agree. I agree with him in that regard that you don't bet against Nick. Um, I think FSU's got a good shot largely because of what Jermaine Johnson's done and that they've shown enough on the field i think it would very much benefit fsu there to win out and become bowl eligible for the messaging to be even stronger and for the direction to feel a little more defined going into that last two week stretch when hopefully he decides during the early period i know that's a little bit up in the air whether or not he does that um but you know i i know i know his father and the history here isn't the factor that people maybe would hope it would be but i do still think it's a factor and I think the fact that FSU's defensive end is producing at an insanely high level right now and about to depart campus, opening a void at the position, I think that's a factor too. And FSU's worked really, really hard at recruiting Marvin Jones Jr. as Marvin Jones Jr. And I think to some degree that that makes a mark with the kid. Yeah. I uh, agree with everything Chris said. I think Florida State is very much in the mix. I think they've done an incredible job recruiting him. Uh, my answer is just my answer. Okay, and you're entitled to that. Is Marvin Jones Jr. one of the highest-ranked players that is not going to have a crystal ball anytime soon? I feel like I haven't sat there and gone down that list of uncommitted guys. that Ivans doesn't put in a pick. But, like, it's amazing. He does not have any, and that's a credit to how he's handled his recruitment. He's very, not vanilla, but he's very consistent about what he says about each, and there's reasons why he clearly likes each. Oklahoma has some ties, and Nick Benito has been good there. He's from South Florida. 
Bama is Bama. I know people hate that saying, but it's true. I think Ivan's got to lead the way. I think if Andrew Ivan's puts a pick in, I think we see other people weigh in. I mean, he's the like if Ivan's isn't putting a pick in, he's the one that sees him and talks to him every single week. So Josh, the I guy who yells charge, the guy who yells charge usually dies first. Yeah, hey, I we've all been there. Like covering these guys in the Tampa Bay area, I've had to lead the charge on you know a ton of guys, Vernon Hargraves, and you know the list goes on that weren't necessarily going to the, but they were guys that I saw every single week. So I, I like I your peer pressure on Ivans. Chris, huh? I like your peer pressure on Ivans. I might actually take a clip of this and send it to Ivans over text. Oh, Ivans won't do it, yesterday. you big baby. Yeah, there you I, go. No, I had him on the pod yesterday. and I, Andy, I asked him, what are you doing, Andy? <laughs> I called him out for not having one on Besaint and Marvin Jones Jr. Wow. What do you say? That, no, I'll have to listen to the pod. It's difficult. I get it, it. I mean, I'm not saying there's not a lot of pressure being, being the regional guy covering those. And I trust me, I get it. In that yeah. region, especially. You, you err on the side of caution so much that you talk yourself out of something you believe sometimes. Sometimes that can happen. Yes. Chris mentioned something. Uh, I don't even know how we can quantify it right now, but like the Jermaine Johnson effect, obviously what he's done on the field, we, we've discussed it's been amazing the impact is going to have for recruiting. Like what, think about what you can sell to transfers moving forward and be like, yeah, we can set you up. And if you just, uh, if you do the right things, like we'll put you in a position to make millions of dollars. And if you think about what you can sell defensive ends, like Chris mentioned, even uh, who was the safety last year, Chris uh, from Tallahassee that, that didn't want to come to Florida state because the pass rush was so unproven. Uh, what's his name? That ended up at Alabama, not Amari Harvey. He went to Auburn, but, uh, Oh God! I can't believe I'm blanking on it. I can picture his frame and everything from, uh, from the uh, from the small school from JP two. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God! We're getting old. Yeah, yeah that's not a good sign for us. Mm-mm. It's good audio. It's good podcast. It is. It's really good. I set you up to remember Arnold. Jerry on Arnold. Thank. There you. we go. Yeah. T. Yeah. Thank I'm disappointed myself for forgetting him that quickly. We'll remember him real soon because he'll be making plays in Alabama. All right, let's go to our mini mailbag. Mailbag! Starting off, O-Line0175 asks, can the real, quote, Fire Fuller crew please stand up? Can you guys give us talk about some things you've seen at practice or heard around the program that have gone into this defensive turnaround? Chris, I'll, I'll start with you. Well, I'll be up front. I, I don't love everything Adam Fuller does. I, I've made comments on the podcast in the past that point to that, but he's done a very good job with this group, and they've gotten a lot better. So the reasons they've gotten better, one, I think receptive to message is first and foremost. It's night and day from a year ago. I think it's truthfully improved a great deal within the season this year. Um, I think the other thing is that they're fairly quick on – they'll work with a guy real hard, and they'll make an effort to keep him there, but they will also make a change when they feel a change is necessary or that someone's prepared to take that role. Look at Amirian Cooper, for example, taking over a cornerback role from – Jerry and Jones, who is struggling, for example. That's an example. Travis J, some of that's injury, other things, but he essentially got his role taken away pretty early in the season. So examples like that. I think the other thing is they, they figured out their strength. They knew it from the get-go, and it actually was their strength this year at the front porch. Last year, I think they believed it would be, and it obviously was not. This year it has been, and it sets the tone for games. It helps to neutralize the ability for the other teams to run which allows them to kind of play to their weaknesses and not allow big passes and try to be better over the top, a little more umbrella-like, uh, things like that. But more than that, I think it's just 
guys have bought in. There is a clear buy-in on defense. I think guys like playing hard on defense for the guys they're playing for, both Fuller and the assistant on that defensive staff. And uh, it's paid off. I like that they've, to Chris's point, that they identified that the front porch was going to be a strength for them early in the season. That was proven. And then as they kind of filled in the pieces around it and got stability, I think that's what helped out a lot to answer uh, O-line's question there. Like that they were, okay, Jamie Robinson, they made a move almost full time uh, near exclusively to to the field safety spot uh, around the, like the week of the Syracuse game. And he had some struggles there because he had played a little bit there, but would also play slot corner. Uh, but Kevin Knowles ascends and they're able to put a speedy nickel corner there in the base defense. He then put a, a good athlete at field safety. And then even like at the boundary safety spot, like think about a year ago, you started off the season with Jaden Lars Woodby, who's like a linebacker safety tweener. Now it's Akeem Dent, who's a corner safety tweener. Like they've gotten more athletic all around the field because of what they trust that front porch to do. And I think that you play to your strengths and you've, you've tailored your defense to, to kind of fit within that, which is what good coaching and good strategists do. They've right. also, they've leaned on a consistent group. Um, you know, yeah. most games defensively, there's really only like, what, 18 guys maybe truly playing a significant amount of reps in the sense of being out there a lot. Once in a blue moon, a guy gets plugged in for a run situation or a pass situation. But for the most part, it's kind of the same 16 to 18 guys. I think the fact that those guys have played a lot of reps together now this year helps a lot. And I think that's more evident in the secondary than anywhere else. Okay, next question is going to go to Josh. This is from Sam Knight. Uh, hopefully Chris's basketball coverage has been um, – beneficial to you let it go are are you guys prepared to adjust to following a program with stability in the early signing day era new waters for us all imagine what the staff can do with even more time to focus on a smaller pool of players yeah sometimes it's fun you know there's only so many ways to tell a story so like when the team's riding high and then all of a sudden they have a bad year it's like oh this is cool i can tell this story this is new something's different well, we've been in that cycle for like six years now. So, yeah, I'm ready to tell a different story. This this, this rebuild, change, hope, like I'm ready to see something real, tangible. I welcome the return of boring. Chaos has been fun, but I've had my fill of it. Okay, the chaos never leaves. Let's get that straight. I mean, remember yeah, 2013? There's different levels of it. That's true. But I'd still say 2013, 2014 was as chaotic as it's ever been. When you wake up every morning to sign on Twitter and wait for the decommitment note, it's not really a very enjoyable I mean, job. The week, think of the week of Clemson when Jameis got suspended. Oh, like think of think back to that week, and then the and then the Friday before or the Friday he he was suspended on a Friday. That was that was one of the most chaotic seasons I've ever been a part of. Dude, Even with Jimbo leaving. The 2013 season too. Like I was, that was my first year covering the team and I was covering it for the Orlando Sentinel. And like, so the emphasis to break news there was court people, trials. There was, I was literally things. sleeping in downtown Tallahassee. There's an annex for like the associated press for like newspapers that don't, aren't the Tallahassee Democrat. And I was sleeping in that office for like days because we didn't know like when the, you know, when a verdict or not even a verdict, so didn't go to trial, but like when they would come out with, was some kind of ruling on like what was going to happen with the Jameis case because it was right next to the courthouse. Chris like, it was crazy. himself up. If you think there's never going to be chaos around this program, like good times or bad, you're you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Different degrees of chaos. So like 
we dealt with the chaos of what you guys are talking about with Winston, even down cook situation kind of falls in that category. And then we've had the instability, bad coach, recruiting falling apart. What the hell are we doing here? My God, we're trying to suck even more. We've had that kind of chaos. I feel like that's starting to go in the rear view. There'll be something new. Yeah. And we'll adjust to it. I'm just looking forward to the new adventure. Yeah, and I'm if it's a little boring, it. I am perfectly fine with it. Chris loves routine. I do. Yes, he does. Uh, there was a question, and damn it, I can't find it. It was kind of related to this. Real quick, while, while I try to find it, Chris, uh, <laughs> NC Knowles 5 asks, should we be worried about the basketball team? So go get your, your hoops uh, talking. Uh, yeah, I think a little bit. I think it's fair. I mean, the two-lane game was pain. Uh, 22 points by each team in the second half. FSU's offense just looked miserably bad. There was no flow. You know, they got to figure out point guard. Raekwon Evans, I don't think it's the guy that you want being your primary point. I played ballpark like 25 minutes last night. Was just wholeheartedly ineffective in running the offense and being productive in the offense. He did rebound some, he blocked some shots. He effort was there, the production wasn't there. And the big man situation is a concern. There's not a lot of teams that will exploit FSU's issue with not having a really super dependable big other than a guy named Malik Osborne who doesn't really need to be a big. Um, but you know, they'll get better. I, I am worried about Purdue game. Purdue's a damn good team. I'd be worried about Purdue if FSU was playing well. And FSU hasn't played particularly well the last two outings. But I, I think they're going to be okay come January, February. I think they're going to figure some things out. I think offensively they will figure one another out. You know, Ham's never going to go away from playing heavy rotations. They played roughly 10 last night. They're going to play 10, 11, sometimes even more than that every night. And they're all going to get a good amount of minutes. So it's going to take a little time. There's a lot of new young pieces. I do think Worley's going to be fine. He's just got to get used to being in a more of an up-tempo offense. That's not what he came from. Matthew Cleveland is plenty talented. Caleb Mills is a guy who can score in bunches, but also has to figure out how he fits into this dynamic of this team. That's going to come with more minutes. You know, I feel great about what Malik Osborne's brought to the table through three games. But yeah, there's things to figure out. They're going to drop a game or two that we probably don't think they should drop. They're also going to lose some games to a team of the quality of a Purdue, for example. But they don't play a lot of teams that are that good. The ACC is not a murderer's row. This year, it's not great if you've been watching early season ACC hoops. So if FSU can figure out, they're going to be fine in conference play, but they got to figure it out. Winky Ward Winston has something kind of off topic, but I think this would be good for both you guys to talk about, uh, given the coverage question from a minute ago. Uh, does your belief oh, – damn it, I can't read. Does your job feel like a job to you, or do you feel like you just get to watch your alma mater favorite team every week? It's a job to me because I'm an organized uh, – I'm, I'm a little OCD, right? Would you guys agree with that assessment of me? No. Um, so it's a job because, like, I wake up thinking, what do we need to do today? What is on the agenda today? And then what's going to fly at our face that we don't expect out of left field today that we're going to have to deal with? And there's moments where you literally pivot and turn. Like, you have this plan of, oh, I'm done for today. And then 3 o'clock comes, something happens, and you're busy from 3 o'clock to midnight because that's something that happened. So it's a job in that sense. But, hell, I've I've worked other jobs in my life, and this is by far the most enjoyable one I've had. And I do appreciate the fact that essentially all I'm doing is watching sports the majority of the time. You're muted, Josh. No, don't let him him know that. I I agree. I think a lot of it is perspective. Um, I had to work construction for four or five years doing this part-time before I got the full-time job in 2010. And I just remember always working 
all day and then coming home to write and, and doing both jobs and realizing that the people in the media complain about sitting in the press box. They complain that they're tired when they're sitting in the press box watching football. So I've always found it hard to complain about my job, but with anything, there's parts of it that I don't enjoy. There's so much of it that I love and there's so much freedom. And and the fact that we do our good job and our bosses don't ever chime in is great. But of course there's things like waiting in the parking lot to interview a high schooler for eight hours. Like I, that is the worst part of what I do, but it comes, it comes with it and you take the good with the bad and there's way more good that outweighs the, the really small amounts of bad. But I do always try to make a point never to complain, especially about being tired. NC Noel 92 asks, can Emmett Rice get a medical red shirt for this year, even if he plays in the remaining games and the bowl? Uh, I asked Norvell about this the other day. Chris, uh, do you want to clarify it real quick? No, you asked the question. How about it? I didn't really remember the answer all that well. So well, so basically they're in the process. So one, they didn't want to rush. Correct me if I'm wrong, Chris. But so basically they don't didn't want to rush Emmett Rice back. He was on the fence of possibly playing against Miami. I said he's not quite there yet. I'll see. I'll, I would say as someone who's there at practice and watches him move, like he's gotten progressively better the last couple of weeks and he's been able to do more. But he's not what he was pre-injury still. I yeah. think that he's still kind of feeling his way through some things. Uh, so you have two games left. Norville said it's very early in the process of discussing a waiver. He's a 2016 recruit, if I'm not mistaken there. So what would this be, year seven, if he were to apply for a waiver and get it? Uh, I think even if he played two games, that would like be on the table. But it made, the way Norvell responded to the question, it made it sound to me that Emmett would be, if he was able to play and perform well, like I think they would kind of see what he could do. But it, it didn't. It didn't seem like it was ruled out one way or the other. Still, kind of in the early process of it. Um, but the main thing was like they didn't want to force him back into action and see what happens in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and we haven't heard it from Emmett's side of what he would like to do. So yeah. we can't add that to this discussion. Don't know it exactly. I will say Emmett, Emmett's been great to have around practice. He's a he's a dude that smiles. He helps. He enjoys being there. He wholeheartedly wants to get back on the field. He is working to get back on the field this year. There's no doubt in my mind about saying that. So, like, that's been a positive, but I don't know if he wants to continue his college career. At some point, sometimes you – you want to move on to whatever is next. Whatever. Do you think be. the fact that they celebrated him on senior day in the war? No. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Or do you think he tipped them off and said, this is my last home game? I mean, I, I asked leading up to that because I was doing a piece on guys being honored. And it's eligibility is such a weird thing right now because of right. COVID years and all that. That it's, it's kind of tough. It's one of those things like you got to do it in case it is the end. But it doesn't guarantee it is the end. I believe there were a couple guys, well, they didn't really truly have a senior day last year, that were viewed as this is their senior day, and they're obviously back, Babyon Johnson being one of those, who was a super senior. So it's just a weird deal. I, I didn't, like, you know, I asked again on Monday, if a guy was celebrated versus a guy who wasn't mentioned or celebrated, is there something to read into there? And they're like, eh, kind of shoulder shrug, because it's independent cases and it deals mm-hmm. with eligibility, and it also deals with roster construction and what those guys and what FSU wants for next year. Kind of keeping with that. Well, Chris, real quick, uh, someone didn't ask this, but uh, yeah, like Jalen Goss is someone that walked. Um, now, if you're if you're like that young, yeah. if you're that young, Jalen Goss, for example, is a redshirt sophomore on the roster. I think it is indicative of the intention of moving on from the program. 
I think that's that's a safe assumption because the right conversation now. was had of are we honoring you honoring you today? Yeah. So on. In a case like Rice, it's because he's a six-year guy who may not get another year, even if he decides he wants another year. Mm-hmm. Adelie Canada asks, how do you see Cooper and or Lovett coming? How likely do you see Cooper and or Lovett coming back next year? So that's Robert Cooper, Fabian Lovett. Could you see one or both coming back for another year with how the culture and team is uh, changing towards being a better and competitive team? Chris? I could. I think Cooper's ready to move on. I don't want to speak out of turn for him, but I think he's one of those guys that kind of understands he is what he's going to be from an NFL draft perspective. And I believe he's also on pace to get his degree. Would love it. I kind of presumed he would, especially with the the medical demands of his son um, or child. I believe it's his son. Um, so I've always kind of presumed that. And he's put together a pretty good year despite dealing with some injuries here on the back end of it. But, you know, n- nobody's really – we've truthfully – very much avoided the pro question with most guys. I think Warchan at one point asked Jermaine Johnson if he thought about, you know, you've done enough, the team's struggling to a degree, do you hang it up? And he completely brushed that off and said, nah, it's not why I came here. That's not my intention. I think, truthfully, that's the only discussion I can recall from a practice this year that had anything to do with what is next for a guy. Now, obviously, we're getting in that crunch time of basically a week left in the season if they don't make a bowl. So those discussions are going to become more prevalent, but mm-hmm. I haven't really talked to people within the program about that, away from the player side of it. Yeah, I, just to add to what Chris said, I think with Fabian Lovett and his family situation, which I think is well documented, he has a has a young son who's been in need of, of medical attention and hence it's a lot of money, uh, and he's played really well. I, he's in year four of his college career, I believe. I think that's someone who, if he went – and declare for the NFL draft would get drafted and you you take your salary at that point is that would just be logical to me but he's also someone who could still continue to get better if he stays so I could see both sides but I think it's important to remember there's more than just uh, there's many factors that kids are weighing a lot of time on whether to go pro or not um and then with Coop I, I oh, yeah. oh go ahead Josh I just I spoke to somebody uh within the organization that told me that they think they both return wow. um that was just their opinion he said that they haven't gotten, you know, they haven't submitted their draft paperwork yet. But in his opinion, the draft paperwork wasn't going to come back saying that they're, you know, a first, second or third rounder. Um, obviously, like Brendan said, you got to make your decision from there. And it might, you know, I don't even know what the paperwork is going to come back as. But this was just speaking to somebody within the building. And they said, it, it, in their opinion, that they were they thought they were both going to return. So we'll see. But, you know, we'll hear more as as it gets closer. I, I would love you. I, would, I, was, I would put money if I had to guess. I, I think it's more likely that both leave than both stay. And I think probably like a one to one is probably the most the most likely. I know that's a boring answer, but I think that's just that's where I'd be go right now. What, what were you going to say, Chris? Well, I, I think Love is a guy that wholeheartedly can produce better. And he, he Fabian did a great job of getting in shape this year. He's played much better. He's been a drastically improved player. But I believe there's more in the tank in the college game for him if he so chooses that. I think his family situation is a tough one to judge. And that's obviously a personal decision on his part with regards to weighing future potential versus needs now. With Coop, I just think he sort of is what he is. Like, I don't I don't know that another year for Coop does much to change how he's going to be viewed by people at the next level. And that's not a knock on Coop. That's just I, I don't expect Cooper to become a very different player in another year in the college game. I think there's more college potential in Lovett for next year than in Cooper for next year compared to what we've seen from them this year. Yeah, he fits more with what NFL teams want, which is the interior pass rush ability, a little more athleticism. And, and you know, both of those guys have done what 
like if they both do decide to go pro, good for both of them. And I hope they both get drafted and, well, and make money. Cooper's reps have been limited to an extent because of, you know, they're trying to keep him healthy. Uh, not Cooper. I'm sorry. Love it. Love it. Yeah. yeah love it's it. been dealing with a shoulder injury, especially since the NC, yeah, it was NC State game that he got dinged up, left, came back They've in. They've been trying to maintain him. Yeah. And then you have Dennis Briggs out, and that's also your like depth has gotten limited. I mean, Odell's done such a good job. Like that Jared Jackson and Malcolm Ray have given you what they've given you this season. I don't think any of us saw that coming uh, to this extent. Uh, Odell's still the GOAT. BG16 asks, oh God, this is for you, Josh. Yeah, you, this is you're on the Destin Hill beat. What what are the percent chance that Destin Hill actually comes to FSU in January? I just report what I'm told. There is a lot of confidence coming out of the Moore Center that he will be here in January. I don't we don't know the details. I don't ask the details. The only thing I really want to know is when does the staff expect him to be here? They expect him to be here in January. Um, we've reached out to Destin Hill. How many times for comment, Chris? Roundout number. <laughs> um, well, when it was the recruiting 15. process for him, and immediately after he did not enroll, probably ballpark about 20 times. Yeah. Since then, he beat me down enough where I think I've maybe tried once or twice. I got a response so, from him once. And, and Destin Hill has not gone on record. It, look, he doesn't want to talk about it. There's nobody else that can go on record and talk about it. So until then, we listen to the sources. As it gets closer, of course, I'll keep you know drilling him down and, and trying to figure out exactly when he's coming in. But the message to me, all the entire fall, when did I report that? Like in late August, early September? Dustin Hill, Dustin Hill doesn't exist until I see him in person. And I and I continue to check. I mean, I don't check every day. I don't check every week. But, I mean, I've been told uh, is recently – I've been told in the last seven days. That Dustin Hill's in the plans. Yeah, that he's yeah. in the plans. And, and, I mean, it's not a shocker. Nothing's changed. I've been told that since August or September. Now, does he make it in? I don't know. It has, but people want a like definitive, clear answer to it. It's like we just can't give it to you guys. Like, there's like a few people that know exactly what's going on with him, and they have chosen not to share it. But I feel like we're relaying a message from those same people, and they're also recruiting as though they're getting him in. That is correct as well. Josh's so look, point is that he's Hill been doesn't make it in. If Destin Hill doesn't make it in, it's a huge disappointment. It's not only a disappointment, but it's a. I don't I don't know how to say this, but it, it it there's a glaring hole in recruiting because like Chris said, I think a lot of Florida State's um wide receiver board has been dictated by the fact that they think they're getting Destin Hill in January. So if that doesn't happen, then yeah, it's a problem. But it's not under my control and there's nothing we can do about it. We can just report the news. Agent Cock asks, Coke. Hey, okay. It's Coke. Well then he needs to put an extra O in there. Absent a can't-miss quarterback entering the portal, is it better for FSU to have an entire offseason with Jordan Travis being the unquestioned starter and getting all the starter reps? Uh, how much damage would it do if Jordan's confidence in the staff – due to Jordan's confidence in the staff if they brought in another quarterback to compete with him again this offseason, similar to this past one? Well, they still indicate they're not taking transfer. We've had that discussion. Um, I think Jordan is over the confidence issue that presented itself at times with McKenzie being brought in. So I don't think that's as big of a concern. I think you always have to plan as though you're going to lose somebody to injury and how it affects an entire position. So you take the best guy at your position, cross him off the list, 
Do you feel good about the next guy or the guy you're bringing in as being the guy that can carry it? If not, then you got to go with somebody that's essentially your insurance plan. Did you answer the question? I don't what was know. the question? I'm going back there. There's two questions. Uh, is it better for if you have an entire offseason? Don't – what? Huh? I answered the confidence one. Kind of. You can give them a percentage. Uh, is it better for FSU to have an entire offseason with Jordan Travis being an unquestioned starter and getting all the starter reps? How much damage would it do if Jordan's confidence in the staff to Jordan's confidence in the staff if they brought in another quarterback to compete with him again this offseason? You want me to answer it? That was I kind mean, of I what you – that's kind of okay. what so you I'm not a up. percentage kind of guy. I don't Yeah, like I'm not sure what I'm presenting, but um, no, that here's was my previous answer. question. I, I mean, I wrote a whole article, and we talked about it on the podcast, but I think Florida State needs to take a transfer quarterback. So I'm not it, sure how to answer the, that question. Did think, anything that you saw against Miami, Josh, change your opinion at all? Like even like 1% did, did what you said? No, I still believe the fastest way to improve this roster. That's like saying, Brendan, we bitched about the roster the entire season just because they beat Miami. Does that change your opinion on the roster? No. Therefore, my feeling towards improving a roster, the fastest and most direct way to do it in today's day and age of football is through the quarterback position. Now, I'm not saying go and take any quarterback. You obviously got to get a better quarterback than what you have in Jordan Travis. I believe Florida State can do that. Will they do that? I don't know. But in my opinion, they need to bring in a transfer quarterback that can raise the the level of talent on this roster. and It'll help them immensely. Recruiting isn't about, oh, I, I want a guy just because he might help us. Recruiting is about recruiting guys that are better than the guys you have because it makes you a better football team. Right. And Nick Saban does that. Jimbo Fisher does that. FSU needs to do that. But Jordan isn't going to tuck it between his legs and run this time around. I don't believe that at all. I think Jordan's in a very different mindset now. I think Jordan's in a different, very different place. I think him continuing to be pushed by other quarterbacks is good. Plus, that's just a position where it's a necessity now to stock up because you're always going to probably lose one along the way. It's just the way it works. I don't want to weigh in on Jordan Travis. I feel like I'm too emotional on this topic. Why? What do you? I mean, why? What do you think they should do? I, I think he's. Well, I mean, answer as, that. Answer it within that question. All right. I wouldn't rock the boat and try to get someone who is viewed as a starting quarterback type. If you want to get someone who was a, a probably like a like a a high level backup to help out with the depth there and not be a threat. But that's a balancing. Yeah, act. what QB? What QBs transferring to be a high level back? Very like, few. But it then sounds the, great, but that's not the way the portal I, works. I, I understand. So then the other. I mean, Alex Hornibrook. Uh, so then understand. <laughs> Is he a great. high quality backup? It wasn't a high quality starter, um, but he was a good plan, a great plan. <laughs> My other point, though, is like so. If Jordan Travis. I think it depends on how you view Jordan Travis and the supporting cast. And I think we've talked about that before the podcast. That's why I don't want to get into it. Because we already so know it's all worried about feelings over there. You can't I, have a wrong opinion. This is going to be spun into me saying that Kenny Pickett isn't better than Jordan Travis. Is what's, wait, how what? Does, what? Why was what? Wait. I didn't say that. I just said that. Let things go easily. No, I don't. I don't. I remember everything. Um, I just wonder if there's a quarter, how many quarterbacks are going to be on the transfer market who are markedly better for FSU's supporting cast, what FSU needs as it's currently comprised than Jordan Travis. 
Well, you and just... if you get hang on, but if you get someone who's comparable, even similar, let's say they're five percent better, five percent worse for the fit that FSU has, then what are you doing? Because we saw how the staff operated, and honestly, I mean, I really think highly of this coaching staff and what they've done this season. In hindsight, they mismanaged the hell out of the quarterback room the first month of the season. Some of that was due to injuries. Some of that was due to people being sick and and things like that. And that's out of your control in the preseason and, and leading up even, even to the regular macro season. level. I mean, but they I mean, in and took Chubba Purdy. He's no longer here. So I I think you have something that you can build on. I think it's something that gets you too competent and gets you to the next step. You like AJ Duffy. I just there's there's unless there's a surefire upgrade over Jordan Travis out there that you can go ahead and get. I don't think it's worth disrupting what you have building with him. But you do need to, but the tricky part is you need to find someone who can help out if he gets hurt, which Jordan Travis has shown the propensity to get hurt. So cliff note version of your answer is you trust AJ Duffy if Travis was to hopefully doesn't happen, but if he was to get injured and not be available, you would trust Duffy as no, the next guy. I don't know. I think you need to find someone else who's like fit similar to Jordan Travis for this year. Alex Hornerbrook has a younger brother. I would take Alex Hornerbrook to be the bridge between no i wouldn't no that's yeah, a bad take you wouldn't that, that's a very bad take does james well, blackman have any more bad, eligibility but it's pretty bad. that was not what i said with cranny pickett it was <laughs> misconstrued next question jordan travis has a passer rating of 150 no i'm not going into it agent C- C- coke <laughs> brendan there is a bottle of pappy van winkle or some other bottle of extremely nice bourbon it's tough to beat pappy van winkle behind one door and 10 years of FSU football being back to peak Bowden years under Mike Novell behind the other, which are you taking? So you guys can answer this applying something else that you view similar to a bottle of Pappy Van Winkle. I would say this one emotionally, it'd be great to cover a team that's fun and enjoyable. And the fan base isn't freaking out all the time and has this little brother syndrome. Uh, and then two, my bonus would be really, really great. Presumably if we were covering a, a dynasty era uh, team, and I'd be able to buy Pappy multiple bottles of Pappy. So, I good answer. Say, I agree. Next question. Okay. Um. Oh God, I, I lost my place. <laughs> Josh, what do you think? While I find my place, <laughs> I think this is why I run the mailbag. And if it wasn't for me running the mailbag, it would take like five hours to get. You scroll it. down, Sinone. It's not that hard. I have all my photos. They're all like photos on the phone, and we're like it's going like that. But I also have the internal clock in my head that Sinone doesn't. Like I always have this clock in my head. Like let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I don't I think he has the I, same that same sense of urgency in him. I think we got in trouble when I threw hoops question to Chris and it took three minutes for him to answer. It was a quality answer though. And I I had hoped you would take that time and invest it in getting your shit organized. (laughs) (laughs) This is why I host things though, because it's more fun and you guys can make fun. More fun for who? (laughs) 98 people can't be wrong. Josh. AVFO3 ask, although there are a lot more people listening when Josh hosted last week. Coach on staff most likely to pencil whip you. Um, I mean, all of all of us would get pencil whipped by any coach on the staff. Ryan Barto. I I mean, I think Mike Norvell is pretty good at that. Um Norvell and Fuller, had, if, Norvell and Fuller were my first two. If I had to pick an assistant. People don't want to hear Fuller, but like Adam Fuller is a very, very bright football mind. Yeah, he thinks very in-depth about football stuff. I don't know if schematically I feel that way about him, but I do think his thought process towards stuff is definitely on par with that idea. Yeah. Me personally, I, I relate closest to Chris Thompson and his teachings. 
old soul. Yeah, I, I like the gravel. Actually, you know what? Alex Atkins can coach his ass off. I know. I, I love watch. I love watching Alex coach. Like him in practice, the way he communicates, the way he expresses thoughts, the way he drives home a point, mm-hmm. tears guys sometimes, builds them up other times. It's it's mighty impressive. So I'll go with Alex. Alex has worked at yeah. a higher level in the sense of coaching rank than he is currently, and there's a reason for that. Here, here's a good question. Here, maybe this is a better question. Which coach? on the staff do you think has to do the most teaching of fundamentals technique like who do you think on the staff is is Alex Atkins. yeah I, I think it's atkins i i think probably second on that list would be the secondary which is obviously fuller ian woodson with that job um especially with what they do with the secondary there's a lot of work there odell teaches a lot of fundamentals yeah oh, as yeah. does jp i think they do a very good job with the front line and i think they do a good job developing guys and working with guys and explaining things that you see translate to games atkins is just it's a constant coaching with him and a lot of these guys are like that but there'll be reps where i am watching in practice and i think like it was a good clean rep for an offensive tackle and he's there still like talking about just like the littlest most minute things of like where the hand placement is he's constantly like that yeah. And then what he does with the run game too, like the the run game and some of the things they scheme up blocking wise, like that's collaborative, uh, but he plays a huge role in it. And FSU's run game is its strength. Uh, let's see, kind of keep it on the offensive line. Actually, TB3 Golf 714 asks, what player has had the most growth on the offense, not named Darius Washington? Same question for the defense. Offense, I mean, Darius has been great. I mean, Jordan Travis has taken a, he took a huge step from two years ago to last year, and he's Darian then taking Williamson. Yeah, and Darian's – I was a guy – I mean, he was hurt last year, and I didn't even know if Darian could contribute at this program, and, and he he's moving in a good direction. We'll see. I mean, Jay Sean's gotten noticeably better year last year versus this year, but I think that's also health-related as much as anything. Um, I agree with JT on offense. Defensively, I'd probably throw Deloach out there. There's yeah. still bad moments, but he's come a hell of a long way. He's certainly comfortable in being a leader, and he's he's made a fair share of plays this year. Plus, I, I just like Kalen and what he brings to the table. I think I think if Kalen is surrounded by better talent at linebacker alongside him, he will be an even better player. I was going to say DJ Lundy, based on where he came from last year. Um, not that he, I don't know if he's a lot like he's not an every down linebacker, and think we saw against Miami, like where he's situational. Mark Hudson says Amari Cooper. Amari was not here last year, so he can't put him in there mark yeah, if we're talking um, in season cooper certainly one of them yeah. um but some of cooper was he was out of the gate delayed because he was un, unavailable for a couple of weeks of preseason there at the start that's that's part of the reason it took until week seven eight nine ten for him to kind of become the guy he's become i think that's everything here um oh okay last one nrg no one what is the percent chance you give fsu of winning two games in a row oh wait that was only the one question but there i saw one and a two there you're okay. It's okay, Mark. No need. No need to apologize. Uh, Josh, what give, is your what's your percent at? Um, I'm at like fifty six percent. Fifty six. Wow. I'm gonna go because with here's right here and go fifty six. Here's the reason I'm at fifty six. If they beat Boston College, they're beating Ford on the road. I've heard someone else say that. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I I, I, for, I don't know why. I wholeheartedly think they're gonna win this weekend. There's a Chris of death for you. Just we're going to talk about BC like in five minutes. You can't keep it in your pants. <laughs> I thought we already talked about BC. No, you just don't want to talk about it at all. Um, but I am of the opinion if they do win this weekend, they win the next two. Yeah, and I, they're going to be fired up for Florida win or lose this weekend. But I think momentum wise, and I actually believe in momentum. 
It's a real thing. I think it matters. You hear that, David Hale? It's a real thing. You can't quantify love, but it still exists. I'd say 37.5% chance. The ESPN FPI metric, which, you know, has them at like 9.9%. You give them a three out of eight chance. What? That's not what I said. Oh, yeah, yeah I guess they did. That's, 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 that's three out of eight. That's not how I said it. You're saying all How would wrong. you feel about, well, never mind. I'm, I'm taking it somewhere else. Go on. Take it somewhere else. It's fine. How would you feel about FSU's chances to win if they lose to Boston College, but Florida loses to Missouri? I think Florida is completely ready to pull that ripcord of quit. So I'd still feel pretty good about it. I don't know if I asked it at the, on the podcast. I asked Chris in person the other day. I'm going to ask you, Josh, would you trade? So right now I can give you the season can play out however you think it can. 56% chance to win these next two games. Or you're assured of a loss to Boston College, but guaranteed a win against Florida. So no bowl game, but you get the Florida win to end the season. What would you rather take I, your I mean, your I'm I'd rather beat my rivals for sure. I mean, bowl, I understand the bowl game and all that kind of stuff, but it's it's six and six. It's not really getting me very far. For messaging purposes, I would take the six and six the ball game going the right direction. You still beat your rival in that case. Well, you would That's take the I'm chance saying. of that, not the yes, assurance. I would take the chance. Yes. But when you ask me these questions like this, I Great go questions. back to I go back to my mindset when I was a student at FSU. Like I have to put myself in that feeling of like which would I want as a FSU fan, and I would always want to beat my rivals then go to a six and six bowl game. I would take the, I would take the guaranteed win against Florida and the loss at Boston college. If it meant ending the season with the win over the rival, think about how great we felt this whole entire week, what that would mean going into the off season also, and you stop Florida. Think about like before the season started, if we would have told each other that we're going to lose to Jacksonville state <laughs> yet, this team is going to go on and beat their rivals. Like just no way like you could never wrap your head around that and miss a bowl game if i told you all that before the season started you would be like yeah josh that's a cute scenario oh it, it would be a it'd be unfathomable but also like fsu's what we were saying like there was a podcast that chris bud and i did where we talked about the path to six and six and we had to be very i was the only one i think i picked six wins in that and it was an optimistic like giving them some 50 50 games they're one win away from getting to five wins. And like, that's what we said would be a reasonable season, but that wasn't factoring in a loss to Jacksonville state <laughs> to win five games and still have Jacksonville state game on that resume. I think that makes you feel okay. Uh, Preseason's weird. You think back to that time, you think Clemson's going to be pretty good. You think UNC is going to live up to the billing they're getting. Neither of those things are true. You know, Wake I thought Forest. Easy- well, yeah, but I think we all thought Wake would be good. He had a pretty veteran club, and Hartman's mm, damn good. Very good. Um, and they've lived up to that. You know, NC State's been a pretty good ball club, and they've lived up to that. BC, when they've had, Jerkovich has been very good. And I, I definitely was bullish on BC in the preseason. I thought they could be really, really good this year offensively if they had Jerkovich and the offensive pieces they have. Um, so it's just, it's just funny to think back to it. And – Hell, if you had me write down 50 things about FSU in the preseason that I expected, I don't know if I hit on 25 out of 50. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's wild to think about some of it. Quarterback situations obviously played out very weird. You know, would I have picked uh, Corbin to go for 1,000 yards, which is certainly in play? I don't know about that. Would I think Parchment would have been better than he's been? Yes. O-line's been 
better than I expected, but pretty comparable. D-line's been much better. Jermaine Johnson's even exceeded some very lofty expectations placed on by media and himself. Um, secondary, you know, if you had me write down the starters, that's changed drastically. It's just funny thinking about it, how it's always such a moving picture throughout. And even when you're around it every day, and I think it's true for coaches too, it, it's constantly changing. It, things surprise you along the way, I guess is the best way I can put it. And you want to get to the point to where there's a little bit more stability and understanding, like it is what we have going into the year. There's always going to be changes in the course of the season, but you want it to be where it's not like, uh, Travis Jay's a badass, and then he's benched, you know, midway through the season, yeah. and there's a true freshman. But the true freshman stepped up. But that's you want some more stability ultimately. What I will say is, and this is something that I kind of see with Jordan Travis, and that's why I've been so high on him and the coaching staff, and I think he's reflective of it. But but it's not just him. Guys get better, and guys have gotten better in two years under the staff. And I know last year was a debacle, but there was growth that I saw, and that's only continued. Like Darius Washington has grown up immensely. Uh, the two linebackers we mentioned earlier, Cam DeLoach and DJ Lundy, I don't know if either of them could play linebacker here. And they haven't been great this year, but they've improved. And I, I think, I mean, across the board, like you look at Omari and Cooper, FSC wasn't beating out Florida or Miami or Alabama from, I think, Michigan. Um, yeah, Michigan was the main player. And he's been good. There are signs that guys improve under his coaching staff. Jamie Robinson is another example of just from when he got here to where he is now. Like he's just gotten markedly better. And Not I think we have right. to start. Jared Jackson. We have to start, yes, we have to start understanding and as we view this football program under this coaching staff that there's reasonable expectations for guys to improve. And it's been a long time. I get it. It's been since like 2016 that you saw guys make legitimate strides over the course of their career. That's happening now, which is coaching. Like that's that's ultimately a good thing. Okay. We want to get into a little bit of Boston College preview and then get out of here. So that's like five, ten more minutes on this. Josh, do you want to be part of this, or do you want to give us your prediction and get out? Mm, I I haven't really thought about my prediction, but um, well, th- think about it. That's what tomorrow's for. I put it out tomorrow. <laughs> okay, get out of here then. Or you can Love stay you and guys. listen. Love you. Bye. Do you think Josh really loves us? Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> do you love sometimes. me? Sometimes. See, I told you. That's creepy. I didn't know he'd come back in. I hate Josh. All right. Christopher, when FSU is on defense, well, actually, first, before we get into the matchups, so Boston College game in Chestnut Hill, noon on Saturday, ACC Network. Yay, ACC Network. Chris will be going up for us. You looking forward to a little chowder, big boy? Yeah, I'm seeing some family up there, too. Nice. Uh, a little press box chowder? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the BC press box chowder is probably one of the best press box meals because it's a legitimately good chowder. I'm also uh, looking forward to the live guitar riffs in the crowd. Oh, there you go. Have you been playing any uh, Flog and Molly or uh, Dropkick? Dropkick Murphys, yeah. I listen to Dropkick here and there. You're still Irish coursing through this blood. How much percentage Irish are you? I don't know. I hate percentages. I'm 50% Irish and 49.8% Italian. And apparently 2% French, which it may just be Italian. I don't know. I had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in my mouth when I did the DNA test. So it's tough to tell. Okay. So B- BC is, what is BC's record, Chris? Six and four? Six That's and four, a- two and four in the league. 
uh, everything with BC is viewed through the weird prism of with Jerkovic at quarterback and without Jerkovic at quarterback. So they began the year well, four-game winning streak. Some of that was pretty soft. Colgate, UMass at Temple versus Mizzou. They won that one in overtime. Then they go on a four-game losing streak. Clemson at Clemson, NC State, and the Clemson game was a one-score game. Two NC State, they got blown out. Louisville lost by two touchdowns at Louisville and then lost by two touchdowns at Syracuse. They get their man back. They beat VT by two touchdowns, probably a big reason Justin Fuente got shipped out of town. And then they won at Georgia Tech 41-30, and Jerkovic went crazy in that game. He uh, went for you know 13 completions, 300-plus yards, four touchdowns, two on the ground, two in the air. So they're 3-1 and one at home this season. Uh, they wrap up with two more home games. There's a lot of interesting splits with uh, with Phil Jerkovic at quarterback. Phil Jerkovic, did we say it correctly? I think so. Jerkovic, yeah. Jerkovic. The one thing I'll say with those splits is those four wins, the four and O's with him versus two and four without him. Uh, Georgia Tech this past weekend is probably their best win with him at starting quarterback uh, yeah, because they, they beat UMass, they beat Colgate, and then they beat Virginia Tech. So we'll see. Like his numbers are really good, and we're going to get into that in a second here. But uh, that is an interesting variable that's kind of left me difficult in a difficult spot trying to like project what I think is going to happen for this game. And uh, the caveat I gave you with that was that he they're 10 and four with him as a starter over the last two years. And he's been yeah. improved this year. So they're four and oh this year, six and four last year with him as a starting quarterback. Yeah, he's, he, he's good. He's a very good college quarterback. Someone who has a chance to play on Sundays for sure. Um, FSU opened Chris as a three point underdog. That line moved about two, uh, for stay there for a few days. And as of this morning, as we've been recording, I guess we're in the afternoon at this point, but this podcast on Thursday, uh, it moved to 1.5. So FSU is a 1.5 underdog now, um, which if you factor out like the the three points that a home team usually has in its favor, uh, people are saying that FSU is, is probably a better team than BC. We'll just see what the home field, you know, traveling whatnot does for this game. So it'd be interesting, but let's, let's get into when FSU is on defense. And so let's talk Boston college's offense. And let's start Chris with, with the quarterback, Phil Jerkovic, um, missed six games with a wrist injury. They didn't expect him to come back, but he he's come back and played very well this season. Yeah, it was a right wrist injury suffered on September 11th against UMass. On the season, he's 39 of 61 for 748 with five touchdowns, one interception. That's in four games. They've won all four of those games, as we said. 22 rushes for buck 97, four rushing touchdowns. So certainly capable with his feet. Um, you know, their offense as a whole passing-wise, 205.1 on the season per game. That ranks 98th in the country. I wouldn't fall in the trap of thinking they're the 98th best passing offense in the country. I think they're far superior to that number. A lot of that he's absent for six of their 10 games, and that's why that number's down a bit. They also will run the ball. They're going to line up with a lot of two tight end sets, pack it in a little bit. Pro offense, you know, they're, they're going to be kind of physical, take it to you, try to beat you up at the line of scrimmage. It's, it's not quite the Adazio, like no, three no, tight ends. Not, nothing but dudes, but yeah. Yeah, they'll go with a lot of tight ends and and be very NFL. It'll look it'll, they look like an NFL offense the way they they operate. Pat Garo is their running back. He's had four 100 yard rushing games this season. Each of the last two games he's done that. He has 170 rushes on the year for 909 and six touchdowns on the ground. Not much of a receiving threat out of backfield, so not much to worry about there. As a team, they rush for a buck 65 per game. That's 66 in the nation, but they get it done scoring on on the ground. They have 19 rushing touchdowns on the year, so. On average, about two per game rushing on the ground. Zay Flowers, familiar name if you've kept up with BC in recent years with FSU playing him. He's their best receiver. Junior has five career 100-yard receiving games since 2019. 
He's leading them this, this season with 40 receptions for 653 and four receiving touchdowns. He leads in all three of those categories. As a team, they have 11 receiving touchdowns as a team. They don't have the killer tight end they've had in recent years. They have talent at the position, but they don't have guys like they've kind of run out there at FSU in recent meetings. Now, Trey Berry is their number one tight end, and he has 347 receiving yards. I think he's their second leading receiver, so he's solid. And But a lot of it, they scheme up uh, their tight ends open with a lot of – that's not – like throwback passes, not quite again as like vintage Boston College under Adazio, but uh, they do a really nice job scheming tight ends open. Uh, and then they, yeah, they have Zay Flowers, who's really, really good and, and takes the top off the defense. The other thing I'll say about their offense, Chris, uh, the offensive line's really, really good. This will probably be the best offensive line the front porch has faced this all season, or at least in the conversation. Yeah, um, super, super veteran group. Fifth year senior offensive lineman Ben Petrula started all 58 games he has played since not playing the first game of his true freshman season back in 2017. Left guard Zion Johnson's probably their best pro prospect of the bunch. 28 consecutive starts, has not allowed a sack in 2021, yielded just two quarterback pressures and 520 snaps at guard and eight snaps at left tackle this season. That's according to PFF. They also feature a junior left tackle, Tyler Vrabel, 33 career starts. Graduate center Alec Lindstrom has 34 consecutive starts, 35 total career starts. And then redshirt sophomore right guard Christian Mahogany, who's probably the most green of the bunch. But they do a good job of keeping their quarterback upright. 1.9 sacks per game allowed. That's 51st in the nation. They're good. There's a reason they can line up and run the ball and why they're a pretty balanced offense. Yeah, you see, when I went back this morning and watched them against Georgia Tech, there's consistently a surge that their offensive line has in pushing back to the defensive line. That's consistent. PFF has them... All five of their starters are graded 70 or above, which means above average. Three of those starters are 80 or above. Like this will be a challenge. This will be specifically to this position group, uh, a strength for Boston College versus a strength for Florida State. It'll be very interesting. Briley asks, he has known what part of the field does Jerkovic best attack? What would you say? He pushes the ball downfield very well and very accurately. And that vertical passing game to me going into this, this contest, I don't know if you share the same sentiments, Chris. That's where I'm the most concerned about with, with Florida State is his ability to to get the ball 20 yards downfield with accuracy. Yeah, he's a guy that can certainly stretch it. I haven't actually looked at his passing distribution chart, like the PFF breakdown of where he does the best. I'll put it this way, though. It's where Zay Flowers is running. And he's <laughs> capable of stretching the field and hitting him with the big play. Zay, <laughs> like If FSU is going to get beat behind, I would put money on Zay Flowers being the guy that gets him. I don't think this is like Miami where it's guys trickling out of backfield. And I don't even think it's the tight ends coming off like chip blocks and getting released. They might do some damage in the middle of the field short. But if FSU is going to have the top taken off on them, I expect it to be Jerkovic to Zay Flowers. And it's going to be Zay getting a one-on-one or just beating his corner and having the foot race on the safety. And Jerkovic is capable of putting it on a spot down the field for him to run under. Someone in the comments is saying that's the same thing we said about Van Dyke against Miami. Like, yeah, yeah. or but like that Van, that's how they beat you other than – but we're able to run the a little ball. bit more throw it up and let Rambo go get it vertical. Yeah. I think Jerkovic is a little bit more throw it to a spot and let his guy run under it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And Van Dyke's a very velocity based quarterback. Like he puts it on you and gives you a chance. Whereas yeah, Jerkovic's more throwing to a spot very accurately downfield. And, and um But like well, I was gonna say, like if you watch like how like to attack him. It's difficult because he does so well under pressure. Georgia Tech had him off platform a ton. And now they're passing – Georgia Tech's passing defense is awful. Like Florida State has had its issues this year, but it's kind of averaged out to be like an average passing defense. 
uh, Georgia Tech is probably like 110, 120 range nationally in most of the, the metrics for uh, passing defense. But still, Drigovic managed to do a really, really nice job in that game of throwing off platform. And he's been really good under pressure this season. Uh, he is passer rating when he's under pressure is 194.5. If he had enough snaps, that would lead the country. So you're going to have to be really sharp in the secondary, even if you get pressure on him. If you're not able to bring him down, uh, he's going to take his shots, and you got to hope you can you can defend it downfield. And to the person's point about us saying that about Van Dyke, we did, and it's true. But FSU did an effective job of handling that. Marion Cooper breaking up four passes is a good example. Brownlee being on the spot, even though he did get beat in a couple of those occasions, is another good example. I think FSU's improved drastically at handling such things. Mm-hmm. Going back to Jerkovich, looking at the Georgia Tech game, and that's – Bit of an anomaly that that's a career type day for him, but just it's the most recent outing. Outside left, three of four for 100 yards. Between the numbers, vertical, two of three for 74 yards and a touchdown. Outside right, one for three for 39 yards and a touchdown. So he hits two bang plays, one to the middle, one to the right for touchdowns. And he goes, what, six, four, 10 on those. And he goes for 213 yards and two touchdowns. So, yeah, he can push it downfield. He can threaten you vertically. He can do things there. They also, it's noticeable, most attempts and completions outside of that outside left quadrant is between the numbers, the 0 to 10 yards, 2 for 4 for 24 yards. That's probably, you know, tight ends kind of sitting down in the middle of the field. They're willing to take that because they're going to force your safeties to try to play up on that, create one-on-ones for the outside, Mm -hmm. and then, boom, try to go on you. Yeah, and that's – that's the area outside of going deep. I think it, that concerns me going to this game is if Boston College, again, uh, it's a really well-coached team. Schematically, I like what they do with, with their talent level, what they have. If they can find ways to attack the linebackers and put the linebackers in conflict, like we saw against Miami, that's the only other way Miami was able to move the ball. Other than winning some 50-50 shots downfield, uh, they were able to either get wheel patterns or arrow patterns with running backs coming out of the backfield. Uh, and some stuff with Will, Will Mallory, too. You can... FSU's linebackers are going to be challenged both with the smash mouth physicality portion of this game and BC trying to put them in conflict with a, with a really solid passing game. I think we'll see, I think we'll see a lot of three linebacker fronts to this, this week, which we haven't seen much this season. Physicality was certainly emphasized by FSU this week. It was said numerous times by Mike Norvell and it was kind of noticeable in practice while you're trying not to beat your team up 11 weeks into a regular season, 12 weeks, including the bye week it was still a point of emphasis of like, you better be ready to strap it on and pop some pads on Saturday because that other team's going to do that. Switch to the other side. If you're good, Chris, let's talk about FSU when it's on offense and and specifically Boston college's defense. Uh, One thing I'll say before Chris gets going, this isn't your traditional Boston college defense in terms of just being suffocating dominant. They do tackle really well, especially in the secondary. They have a good edge setter in Brandon Barlow, but, uh, unlike some past years where they had multiple NFL guys and they have a a couple potentially here that we can get into, but this is a defense that has some very vulnerable aspects to it. And we saw that against Georgia tech, Georgia tech with a backup quarterback scored 30, or was it 30 exactly on him? But in the thirties, this team will give up some points potentially. Yeah. It's funny. Jeff Halfley came in there and I'd argue he's more thought of as a defensive coach. Um, And he's kind of flipped what they were good at. They used to be super pressure heavy up front. Probably the worst category for their defense now is they only average one and a half sacks per game. That ranks 111th in the nation. So they're not exactly killers at the line of scrimmage, but they can still do things at the line of scrimmage to disrupt you to some degree. What are they good at? They rank in the top 20 nationally in five different defensive statistical categories. Passing yards allowed 159.5. That's number three in the country. Team passing efficiency for opponents is 115.79. 
That's number 16 in the country. Third down conversion defense, 32.8%. That's 19th in the country. First downs allowed by the defense, 176. That kind of plays in hand with the passing not being prolific. And they only allow 19.9 points per game. They have had a couple instances where they've given up more. NC State, I believe, is one of those. Georgia Tech's another one of those. But in general, they've been pretty good about that. They lead the nation in fewest completions allowed this season, only 139, and rank seventh in fewest passing touchdowns allowed, only wow. eight. They rank 18 nationally with just 24 total touchdowns allowed, so they've allowed 16 on the ground. In their 28th in total defense, 335.3 yards allowed per game. Fairly decent in red zone defense, 75% is the average. They're number 22 in the country. So they're not a high-pressure outfit up front, but they also do a pretty good job of kind of making you earn it. People are asking in the chat, Chris, about Jaden Lars Woodby, and that's obviously oh, you're playing against a guy who was here for a few years. He's played safety for them. Yeah, he's, he's been solid. He's started every game this season for them. I believe every single start has been at strong safety. He has a pair of interceptions on the season, also two fumble returns, including one for 41 yards and a touchdown. He has 39 tackles. That's fifth on the team. He's done well for himself there. He settled in. Yeah, Jaden's a guy who definitely is very focused, always was here, so it's not really surprising to see him take to a place where he went for kind of the last hurrah. He got a lot of crap last year. Man, he was not 100% coming off the knee injury. I think it was a little unfair, but it is what it is. He He's missed two tackles this entire season. He's one of the highest Damn. graded. He's made one of the highest graded uh, tacklers at safety in the country this year. Like, yeah, I think – I think there was a little bit of unfairness of how he was viewed by some of the fan base. Uh, but at the same time, like I think, you know, if you're FSU, you're looking at him, it can be tough to run to him. Um, maybe you can get him in space and, and force him to cover downfield uh, if you can scheme that up. I talked to somebody who's familiar with Halfley and also familiar with what he's doing at BC. And they said the best way of describing what he does to an offense with the running game and with like short passing stuff is a funnel. So they might allow you to get some stuff, but they're kind of putting you in a situation where they're, they're clinching and tightening up and they're, they, they really try to reduce the amount of explosive plays. I did not truthfully look up how many explosive plays they've allowed on this season. Let's see if we can find it. They try to be very much that they try to very much eliminate. They want you to have to essentially, for lack of a better term, dink and dunk against them. And Earn it. Success. Earn it. Yeah. yeah, let's see. So they yeah. are 27th nationally in big plays allowed with 37 plays of 20 plus yards. So that's pretty damn good. Yeah, and let's see, have 40 plays allowed. Let's see. like so Against a here. league with some really good passers and some explosive offenses, too. 48th nationally in plays of 40-plus yards allowed with nine. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a sound defense. So there are some areas that you can attack, uh, and especially I think what, what Florida State does well. Now, maybe this is kind of to your point, Chris. I think you can run on them. They're average, allowing more than five yards a carry, uh, which isn't great. More specifically, they are allowing before contact – 2.46 yards to carry. That's 115th nationally. So you can get some creases against them. And, and we've seen with Florida State, like that's what, when their offense is working its best, it's just they're able to get past the line of scrimmage. And then you got two pretty good running backs or a really explosive quarterback and get in the space there and, and do some things. So that's something I'm going to watch closely on Saturday. Yeah. They, they, as to kind of wrap up their defense, nine interceptions on the season. Uh, Cornerback Brandon Sebastian is one of their better players. He's got three interceptions, but he's been pretty banged up here recently. Nickel Josh DeBerry is probably their best player on defense. He leads them with 53 tackles on the season. He's really he also, good. He also has seven tackles for loss, a sack, four quarterback hurries as well. So he's a guy that can kind of play all parts of the field is effective for them. Two interceptions, three pass breakups. Um, and second on the team is in tackles is Mike linebacker Vinny De Palma. If there's ever been a BC name. Hey, Vinny De Palma. 
48 stops on the season for him. So they kind of get done in the middle with him. And then, you know, they got DeBerry kind of moving around the field and Sebastian out there on the island. That that And then, you know, we've talked about Jaden being the safety. So that's some of the pieces. Now it's just weird for so many years, BC has been great offensive line and a defensive end or two. That's really going to bring havoc to you. They don't have that up front this year. That, that just isn't on this team for them. Now Barlow's a good defensive end with setting the edge, uh, but yeah, he's not a, pass rush juice guy which again that i think that helps out florida say that you don't have a, a dominant defensive lineman to, to kind of worry about last thing i'll mention bc runs a ton of man coverage uh they did more zone this past week against georgia tech with a running quarterback so it'll be interesting to see how they try to match up with jordan travis because if you want to run a zone defense to kind of have all the defenders eyes on that scrambling quarterback man means you're turning your back but teams have had a ton of success against florida state running man coverage because wide receivers struggle to get open BC is 14th nationally, Chris, in the percentage of man coverage uh, that they run uh, against the pass of uh, 40.3%. So we'll see what, what BC does. Do they try to go zone to to keep Jordan Travis honest and keep eyes on him, or do they stick with man, which is what they, they typically do, and force FSU's wide receivers to beat him? We'll see. Uh, let's get into our predictions for this game. I will be honest, Chris. I went into the week thinking leaning towards Boston College. Thinking that just you know, coming off an emotional win, sandwiched in between Miami and Florida. BC has its quarterback back and starting to kind of figure out itself again on offense. That offensive line might neutralize your defensive line. I didn't like it. Uh, the more I've studied them, the more I've watched them play, uh, and specifically to go sit down and break down the entire Georgia Tech game. I think I got Florida State winning this one. I don't think it's a matter of – of me talking myself into it too. I think Florida state and the metrics say Florida state is a better team. Uh, FEI says they're like a, a, a full tier better than Boston college. Uh, I think Florida state's going to win this one. I'm going to go Florida state 30 Boston college 27. I was also going with 30, yeah. but I'm only going with 23 for BC. You got Florida state winning. I do. Oh, what about you guys? People, people listen as we were on wrap this up. What do you got? It's all good. It's got Florida State by 10. Now, I will note that all three, Chris, Josh, and myself, were wrong in our prediction picking Miami last week. But, you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'm happy that we were wrong. I'm happy to be wrong. Uh, anything else to add, Chris, before we get out of here? No, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an interesting game. I think it's kind of, to some degree, a statement game for FSU just to show, like, you got to stack it at some point. You beat Miami, and that's great. Everybody's feeling great. We all loved it. Fourth and 14 was awesome. Punching it in is great. Just trying The dike spike was great. You know, all the things that happened last week were really fun. But you got to stack it at some point, too. And I think it's very important for FSU to finish this season the right way, and that's stacking this victory and then going to the swamp and draining it. What do you think of what you saw at practice this week? I know it was a little bit dicey for you with, with yeah, traffic I, I, I and recruiting stuff. I was a MIA because Tuesday, for whatever reason, Tennessee and Monroe wanted to be really, you know, stuffed up when I had to cross it, which I really appreciated. And then Wednesday, I was on Tyree West watch to some degree too. Um, they seemed focused. They seemed into it. They seemed really energized. And physicality was definitely a point of emphasis. I, I thought it was what I saw of practice I thought was good. Like I, yeah, and practice has been weird this year in the sense of like, it doesn't always translate some bad days just have not mattered on Saturdays and some fairly good weeks haven't translated to a good Saturday. So I only put so much weight into it, but like it, there was definitely a carryover effect of the positive of Saturday and it wasn't a hangover. It was a shot of positive energy. Brett Nevitt, Chris one claim chatter. 
Zero. It's probably going to be more like two or three, Brett. If Brett's going up to Boston College, Chris, please make sure that he packs up pants because it's going to be really cold. Child. You need to need to have not basketball shorts when it's 30 degrees outside. Oh, to be young. To be young. All right. Hey, yeah, it was a really good week of practice. I thought we'll see if it means anything or not, but team's focused, team's dialed in, team's healthy for the most part and pretty yeah. good shape there. Uh, people, someone asked about Lawrence Tofilly. We asked Norvell about him uh, this past week. That's where the whole jinx thing came up with. Um, he's moving in the right direction. He had a really nice play in practice where he, he jumped up, got the ball, landed on the, the ankle that had been bothering him. Uh, Jordan Wilson got dinged second half, or sorry, late first half when against Miami when he made that catch. Uh, someone who's been playing better. Believe he'll kind of have a chance to go. We'll see. Keyshawn Helton, kind of same deal. We'll see if he's able to go. But for the most part, like not a whole lot of guys missing from that two deep. I, I think FSU's in a good spot right now. So, all right. Oh, look it. Before we go, Brett's mom just bought him pants. Brett Nevitt, Tomahawk Nation. Brett's mom bought me new pants. Odd to be a college kid. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We've got 130 viewers right now. Probably people bored on their lunch break. But you know what? Thank you for following our YouTube channel. We'll have this up on iTunes and Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts in the next hour or so. So thanks, everyone, for listening to On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. For Chris Nee, Josh Newberg, I'm sticking the landing. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.